Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Shane Melanson with Investing Advantage. Welcome to the show, uh, Shane. I appreciate you taking time today. Yeah, no, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So Shane is based in Calgary, Canada, and he has done uh, several decades of investing. Uh, today, he controls uh, well over 20 millions of assets, and he has done a lot of uh, apartment multifamily projects and has done, uh, you know, retail shopping centers, industrial and ground up development as well. So today, I think uh, it's a pleasure for me to host him and learn about the different uh, aspects that you have done and share your advice as well. So uh, welcome to the show, Shane. Uh, help us get started uh, as far as, you know, oh, what is your background and, you know, how you came about into commercial space, uh, real estate space? Sure. Uh, so I, um, I started uh, not in necessarily investing in real estate. My, my parents were both teachers. I grew up in a smaller town. It's a logging town. And my mom and dad, uh, my dad was a principal. My mom was a grade one teacher. So at a very young age, um, I learned a lot about budgets, right? Because mm -hmm. you're on a fixed income. And so the more you want to do, you have to essentially be very careful on where you spend your money. Sure. And, uh, and as kind of as a young kid, um, I didn't, I didn't like that idea very much. Mm -hmm. And I remember in, in elementary school, can't remember what grade, maybe four or five, my dad basically would, would say, what is your budget for the year? And so I would literally have to list out everything from hockey equipment to birthday presents, to haircuts, to school clothes and supplies. And then he would write me a check and I would go deposit it in the bank. Mm -hmm. And as a young kid, you get a couple thousand dollars and you don't, you know, you, I would go out and blow it all on brand new hockey equipment. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then found out that, you know, you run out of money very quickly. Sure. So I got, you know, two paper routes and, and a few other jobs as a young kid. And, and that was kind of my, my introduction into just um, working to make money. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you're a kid trading time for money, that that's uh, fairly common, I think. And, um, I remember coming back my first year of university and uh, I was working for my, my uh, good friend, his dad had a logging company and we used to build roads. So I had operated D5 and D8 Caterpillar, mm -hmm. you know, basically uh, anyways. So we were building roads and at the very end of the summer, he comes to me and says, look, Shane, I've got a really good opportunity to invest in. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, being young and naive and not wanting to miss out, I basically handed over all I'd made that summer, which is about thirteen thousand mm -hmm. dollars. My dad remortgaged their house, so they just paid it off mm -hmm. and took out a hundred thousand dollars to put it into that deal. Well, uh, unfortunately, we lost everything, oh, and boy. and mm -hmm. so it was um, it was painful for me because you know I wanted a car, and and now I instead of having uh, my my tuition and college paid for, mm 
I had to go and work three jobs, but you know, when you're young, you can kind of do that. Sure. Uh, but seeing your parents lose that much money and, and unfortunately, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. And right. I think that, uh, you know, fast forward to today, what I see investing and, and having, uh, having done a lot of deals myself and helping others, that's one of the biggest things that I'm always trying to, to look out for is like how to make sure you do not lose money investing. Now there's no guarantees, right. but I can tell you that uh, from my experience, like 95% of the mistakes investors make are preventable if they just understood certain investing principles. So, mm -hmm. so, um, I didn't get into real estate investing until my last year. I just graduated from university. Mm -hmm. I was living in my friend's basement and I was saving up a lot of money. I mean, like uh -huh. I said, I worked lots of jobs and so I always had, I always had cash, but there's a big difference between like saving money and trying to get wealthy and then watching what my friend is doing, which, you know, he was He was basically getting his dad to put up the down payment. Mm -hmm. He would manage the properties mm -hmm. and, and you know, he quit university working, night, you know, the, the bars three nights a week and mm -hmm. had five houses. Interesting. And so <laughs> that, you know, he introduced me to, um, uh, the concept of investing in real estate up here in Canada, you know, rain was the, the big group, uh, read Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad, poor dad kind of sure. got my mind thinking about buying assets. Mm -hmm. And then I just, I just got a hundred percent into it. Usually when I do something, I don't kind of dabble. I, got my real estate license, got my mortgage license, went to work uh, at the city of Calgary in urban planning. Then I went to Sun Life as a commercial lender and, and I just, you know, kept meeting more people. And then eventually my father-in-law, who's a big time developer uh, here in Canada and the US, mm -hmm. uh, he kind of brought me under his wing and showed me how to invest, how to raise capital, what to look out for. And, uh, you know, we did that for about seven or eight years. And then you know, he said type of thing. So, uh, uh, not a straight line and it's not, uh, I, I don't want to fool anybody into thinking that investing in uh, multifamily apartment, you know, retail industrial is an easy, uh, task. It's not, but you only need one or two deals and you can do extremely well. So sure, sure, sure. So how was your first deal? Like, like, you know, the first commercial, like let's say multifamily deal, how, how did that come about? Uh, how big was it? And uh, what, how, how, I mean, you know, how did you find it, finance it? Uh, sure. Shane? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of deals that I can think of. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one because I think it's, uh, it's in the U.S. and uh, probably a lot of your listeners are in the U.S. and so sure. mm -hmm. I'll I'll mention that one first. So, in 2009, uh, shortly after the credit crisis in, mm -hmm. in the U.S. and, sure. and everyone mm -hmm. was was scared, right? Right, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. I was looking at it, saying, "Okay, I'm up here in Canada, and so we had um, a short a short blip, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it like prices came down, but they went right back up because really." the fundamentals were there and the banks were still lending up here. Whereas mm -hmm. in the U S it was, it was a bit different. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get into the U S because I saw the long-term viability. And so mm -hmm. we basically took the U S and then said, where can we get to in four hours? Where's their job growth? What's similar to Alberta. Mm -hmm. And so Alberta being oil and gas, we started looking in Houston and, and then Dallas cause it was, it was short sure. uh, mm -hmm. in terms of like proximity. Mm -hmm. So the first property was a 240 unit class A multifamily uh, in Sugarland, which is just south of Texas right. and mm -hmm. very good, you know, like it's a 
probably an A area, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, between that and the Woodlands, those are, and the Galleria, those are like really prime locations, if you will. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it wasn't a straightforward deal because we had to assume the existing debt that was there. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I should say like, I was part of this, op- this deal, but um, this wasn't Shane putting it, like I, I put it together, if you will, but I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't the, uh, um, Main, I, I had a small stake in it. I'll just, I, I just want to be, I just want to be very clear. Sure. So mm-hmm. in, in any event, um, 240 units bought it for, I want to say about 82, 83 a door. And this is like, I, like my philosophy was the same product in Canada would be mm-hmm. double, if not triple. Sure. So sure. I just, I, I just, I couldn't imagine that you could replace it for less. You couldn't, even if you got the land for free. Right. And, mm-hmm. And so really it was just a, a matter of, can we get the debt? And right. so with, uh, I can't remember if it was Fannie or Freddie, but we had to pay it down a little bit. Um, and it was, it was, it was challenging, but at the end of the day, that deal, let's just use kind of round numbers and say it was 20 and then five or six years later sold for 32, 33. Wow. And, so, mm-hmm. and, and during the time it was paying well over a 10% cash on cash, but that nice. was because it was, it was good timing. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I helped this, this group, uh, which is my family, my wife's family's company mm-hmm. buy two more of those properties. And so there was mm-hmm. not a lot of competition and which meant that we could get the attention of brokers sure, right? sure, I reached sure. to that lady that had it for sale on LinkedIn. So that, that's how I, I found that opportunity. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> those are opportunities. I wish they exist anymore, you know? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that, I think you will start seeing them. I'm already starting to see those opportunities. I'll give you an example. So I wrote an offer on a property uh, three months ago, right mm-hmm. before COVID, maybe four sure. months ago, I, I, however long it has been. Mm-hmm. And we offered at, um, I won't say how many doors, but, but let's just say it was, uh, um, how much was it? 16 and a half million. Mm-hmm. and the we were not the highest bidder, right? Mm-hmm. Similar mm-hmm. to what's going on in the U.S. right now where it's sure. very highly competitive and bidding wars, and, it, and it's frustrating, right? Because right. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you, you know, you have to be the highest payer, right. uh, and sometimes that means you have to stretch. Right. Well, COVID hits, the guy that got it, that won, he drops the deal, the broker calls me back, and now we're working through it right now where my offer is probably going to be several million dollars less and I'm the only person at the table because wow. I'm the only one that has confidence right now. Sure. So mm. it, it's not to say that maybe it's the same kind of cap rate that it was in the U.S. when you're buying at six and a half sevens. Right. Mm-hmm. But the delta between debt and cap rate is three and a half to four percent. Wow. And so your listeners are probably like, and when you stretch it out over a 35 year AM, that's a going in cash on cash of over 10 percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Shane, um, given your experience, right, uh, how do you go about uh, vetting the deals? Like, uh, what's, how, like, what is your thinking? Like, uh, um, let's say which area it is, how you evaluate that sub-market, and also, like, what sort of factors you are looking within the asset itself uh, when you're looking at these? Yeah, that, no, it, it, it's a good question. I, I think that there's a couple of things that, um, that 
go into it. So number one is like determining the city. So the location mm -hmm. is, is critical, right? Sure. I want to be investing. I like to invest as close to home because I used to invest all over the country mm -hmm. uh, as far as Toronto, uh, which is like a four and a half hour flight right. uh, down to Houston, which is another four hour flight. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's harder to manage. It can be done, but you just need deals that are big enough. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've got three young kids. And so uh, my preference is to be at home and, and not to travel as much. So, sure, sure. Uh, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't, I wouldn't just invest in my, my city if I didn't believe in the fundamentals. Right. Okay. So, right. you know, is there job growth, uh, population, um, you know, how diverse is the economic base, multiple mm -hmm. jobs and diversity? Oh, did you freeze or, okay. Sorry. I wasn't sure if you're, um, so those are kind of at a very high level. Uh, I'm looking at investing in A and B areas. I don't like to be in C areas. I've made that mistake. I've invested in them. Yes, you can make good money, but mm -hmm. frankly, you you really need to understand where you are in the market cycle, right? Mm -hmm. When you're at the top and you're investing in a C area, it better be doing well because it's only right. going to get worse. Right. And and I've I've uh, you know like a lot of this you learn from your your mistakes if you will right uh, sure sure where, absolutely where yeah. you don't realize maybe if when you're new where you are in the cycle right and I would say that probably uh, beginning of 2020 most people would would have said we're near the top uh, right. at least in the U S here in Canada and in my market it's been kind of bumping along I I don't want to say at the bottom but certainly not at the top because we're heavily dependent on oil and oil has been depressed for the past five years. Sure. Sure. Really I'm, I'm investing in areas that I think are going to have strong long-term growth. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll give you an example. We helped a, a client who th this was in 2016 where the market, so oil, it went from 110 down to $30 Wow! and people mm -hmm. were panicking. Right. Mm -hmm. But yet when you are at center ice, center ice, meaning like, like, most people know what center ice is in, in their cities, right? Like it's mm -hmm. like the most desirable location. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. and, and it could be pretty much in any major center, you're going to have a center ice. Well, there, there's a couple here in Calgary and we helped this, this group. We went direct to the seller, right? They said, mm -hmm. we want minimum 18,000 square feet. We want this, we want that. We'll pay up to this. And so it was, okay, mm -hmm. so here's the area. Here's the five properties that fit it. Mm -hmm. Own them up direct. It didn't happen overnight, probably hmm. six months for one of them. And they said, you know what? Things have changed in our life and now it's time to exit the property. Interesting. And so mm -hmm. um, I would say that a lot of the great deals that I find are either working direct, off market, pocket listings, talking to residential brokers. Um, I've got a great relationship with a lot of the commercial agents because I, I was a commercial broker myself, mm -hmm. or a commercial real estate agent. Mm -hmm. uh, the challenge is those deals are getting heavily shopped, right? And so right. even though I might be getting the first phone call, I know that they're going to, they're going to bid me off someone else. And I just, it, it's tough to win those. So. Right, right, right. Awesome. Awesome. Now, uh, Shane, you have such a diverse experience between, you know, obviously investing in uh, Calgary and uh, other parts of Canada, and you have done investments within US as well. So I'm, I'm always curious to understand 
uh, sort of that outside in perspective as to you know how you think about markets and um, you know what differences do you see between sort of the U- U.S. market versus Canadian market? Uh, give us some uh, like some of the differences that uh, you are seeing. Like you know sometimes you will say that oh this is a Canadian market so I kind of have to think it this way. But then uh, you've done deals in let's say Houston and Dallas and uh, so how do you adapt uh, around around those differences as well? Um, so how would I look at it? Uh, there's, there's a couple of things that come to mind. So number one, between Houston and Dallas, that's 12 million people. Calgary is like a million three. Mm-hmm. And so the, the deal flow and velocity in the U S is exponentially higher than it is in Canada. So that's kind of number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for example, and these numbers might be outdated, but I remember when I was first looking in, in Houston, for example, there was like 650,000 multifamily units wow. in Calgary, 44,000. Mm-hmm. And there were, you know, 62% were controlled by five players. And right. so really, if you wanted a meaningful portfolio or anything over 40 units, it was just, it was like, it was just extremely difficult. Right. right. And which right. is one of the reasons why I've kind of moved into doing development because I could buy something for, 170 to 200 a door for 40 year old product. Mm-hmm. Whereas I can go into the U S back in the day. I mean, today, let's say even in most of these markets, a class might be 150. Mm-hmm. Well, they have pools, they have incredible amenities and, and you would just never have that here in Canada. So I, I just look at now, obviously taxes are much higher in the U S at least in, in Texas. And so there, there's a lot of variables that go into it, mm-hmm. but, um, I think that deal flow is, is higher. I think that there is more competition. So it's quite easy to be, I don't want to say quite, it's easier to be a big fish in Calgary because it's a small pond. Uh, (laughs) You know, you go down into the U S and, and uh, I've worked with companies that were in the billions of dollars and they're a small fish. They're, they're a nobody. Right. 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 Because there's just, there's just so much so out there. many big players. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you really have to know who you're competing with. You don't want to be the dumb money. Um, I'm highly sensitive to coming into a new market, not having any relationships. Mm-hmm. So I generally will try to align myself with people that uh, are in that market mm-hmm. and try to bring them into my deal. Right. So for example, if I'm working with, I don't want to use any specifics, but you know, it could be a HFF, Bricadia, you know, ARA, and maybe cut them in for a small piece of the deal so that they've got skin in the game mm-hmm. and they know that market and they're not going to let me buy a piece of crap because I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to be naive going into these markets. True. Even though, even though you look at it and you say, this looks like a great property. I love the location. It's near a Whole Foods, a Starbucks, a school, you know, transit oriented yet you don't know what the history is, right? Right, like, right, like right. Did that have drainage issues and the foundations are messed up and the seller's hiding it and I'm going to find out in the spring when it rains and like I've seen this, right? I worked right. With, with a group where they had $1.3 million in foundation issues. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we were able to resolve it, but I mean, these are the type of things that, that just come up, right? Absolutely. Unsophisticated, mm-hmm. uh, I just call it dumb money. And so you just really want to, just have that local intel because it's awesome. A, it's, mm-hmm. They're inefficient markets. Right, right, right. No, I, I totally agree with you. Now, Shane, um, you shared earlier that 
you provide uh, coaching and consulting to outside clients as well. Uh, can you share with us how did that come about and is that kind of a core passion of yours as well? Yeah, um, well, it's interesting how it came about. Uh, so my experience up until about 2016 was dealing with big companies, publicly <laughs> traded pension funds, REITs, and they are very sophisticated and they pay very well, right? Mm -hmm. They'll, sure. you know, like you can generally earn good six figure, seven figure, well, not seven, uh, unless you're in the deal, but let's just say, you know, six figures, 100 to 200, sure. 300,000 to help sure. them with their acquisitions. Um, then uh, in 2016, 2017, I came back to Calgary because I liquidated a lot of our deals. I'd sold out of a 1150 acre development that we did in Ontario. Well, and mm -hmm. I just wanted to be at home and I wanted to focus more on being close to my family. Mm -hmm. So I started to work locally and I was, uh, I was with an individual and we were helping kind of more entrepreneurial, smaller investors. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get a, um, a call one day from a doctor or a physician and he wanted to look at one of the retail properties that I had for sale. Mm -hmm. So we toured it, we had a conversation and realized that this deal maybe didn't make sense for him but he still wanted me to help him um, essentially act as his, his uh, acquisitions guy. And so we went out mm -hmm. for the next couple of months. We, you know, identified various properties that would fit his uh, investing criteria, his mm -hmm. risk profile, the amount of capital that he had at his disposal. And his big thing was he'd invested in, the, in residential and it wasn't scaling the way he wanted. Mm -hmm. And he really wasn't, he was getting like one and a half percent if his property was full and he was well, managing it. And so that was just kind of too frustrating for him. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then he had a lot of money in the market. And that was also, he was just uh, weary of that because uh, he had no control. Mm -hmm. And so we found him a commercial uh, property, a retail property with five tenants, a location, not a lot of value add, but he didn't mm -hmm. need that because they had rental steps, right? So generally what happens in a rental, I mean, if, in case your listeners don't know, but when you have 10 year leases, there's usually bumps, they call them, right? So let's sure. say at 40 bucks a foot goes to 42, 44, 46. Right. Well, if you've got 15% baked in already, you don't need a high value add. You just need right. to find the right property. Now, this was also, I want to say quasi off market. It was a relationship I had with a gentleman where I used to work at. Mm -hmm. And so um, that gave me credibility to be able to take in a new investor that had really no prior commercial real estate experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I know how, how happy and, and it's kind of put him on the path to essentially replace his very well-paying, um, income as a physician, right? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. When the deal's paid off in 25 years, it will replace his income, but obviously right now he has a mortgage and whatnot. So, you know, he's, he's probably, you know, earning about 75 to 85,000 a year in, in free cash flow. That's so awesome. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's good money, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it, Absolutely. it's decent. And, uh, and then as, as the mortgage gets paid down, he's generating equity and, and this is all from his tenants. And he, I probably, I bet he, he spends less than two to three hours a month just talking <laughs> to his property manager, getting reports. Right. Uh, right. So it's, right. it's been good. Awesome. Awesome. Now, um, Shane, you have coached uh, several students, helped a lot of clients and things like that, right? Uh, I want to, you know, try to understand that 
when someone comes to you or like let's say uh, one of your students and things like that what are some of the best traits that uh, like a person should have to be uh, you know sort of successful into commercial real estate and uh, you know take coaching and things like that what what is some of the traits of that mindset perhaps you can share yeah that is a very good question um, because you're right i would say that the mindset aspect of it is I don't want to say it's all of it, but um, this this business requires patience, discipline, long-term thinking, and so uh, I'll give you kind of uh, ideally who who I think this is for. It's not to say that's the only people because certainly you can get into this business with much less uh, money, but it's going to require a lot more time and energy. Sure. So most of the people I help are earning mid six figures. Mm -hmm. They have money to invest, right? right I would say right. usually about a hundred thousand because you got to tie up properties. I don't teach no money down. I, it's just, even if you're wholesaling commercial real estate, you generally want control over it, which absolutely. means you're probably putting up at least 50,000 just for the LOI. Sure. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. or, or once you get to the PSA, um, I would say that, uh, a lot of these individuals would be, um, how do I put it? Coachable right? If they know all the answers, then they don't need me. And right. so I think that sometimes you need a little bit of humility and, and, and put your ego. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning, right? I don't proclaim to have all the answers. I don't think right. anybody does. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. What's interesting is the people I learn from, they've been in the business for 40, 50 years. You could not hire them, right? They sure. run billion dollar companies. <laughs> and and uh, uh, fortunately, I'm, I'm married into one family and I just have lots of relationships. And so I get their, their time sure. and I've made these people a lot of money. So they, so it's, it, it goes back and forth, if you will. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I've noticed is when I'm in dinners or meetings or what, what have you, mm -hmm. when, I, when I was first introduced to this business, they would ask questions and I would talk a lot. Mm -hmm. And I would come away thinking like, why am I the one talking? They're the one with all the experience. And right. frankly, um, I'm not learning anything by having, by talking all the time. Right. And so now what I try to do is I try to listen more, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously if I'm coaching, people are there for me to just like this conversation, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very one-sided because you're interviewing me and you're expecting certain, certain, um, uh, uh, information and insights that, that I've kind of uh, had. Sure. But I would say, mm -hmm. generally speaking, in a meeting, I'm the one that's trying to ask questions and listen. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that then I can take that, synthesize it and put it into practice. Interesting. And, and mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, there's you know, some of my best investors, they take action. They don't have to have all the answers because mm -hmm. if you're waiting to have everything perfect, you will never take action. Right. You right. have enough, right? Because you don't want to make um, stupid mistakes, right? That's sure, why I call sure. it like you, in my opinion, you need to understand the game of commercial real estate, sure. right? Mm -hmm. Finding properties, financing them, fixing them, mm -hmm. understanding who the players are, the properties. So once you have that foundation and let's say that that can take, depending on how long and how much energy you put into it, mm -hmm. two, three months of, of pretty continual, um, uh, uh, training, and then once that is there, then it requires execution. Then it requires, okay, so you learned it. Now go have a conversation with a broker, with a seller, with a lender. Sure. And everything you learned, like that will help you, but you're going to make mistakes. It, it's inevitable, it. right? Awesome. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like trying to uh, uh, 
learn golf by reading a book. And then you go to a golf course and you swing and you realize you have no idea what you're doing. Right, right. Or, pra- or, you you got to act and practice as well. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, it's, and you're going to make some mistakes and you're going to, but hopefully what you do is you make small mistakes and then you learn and then you come back and then you have conversations. And that's why when I coach, it's like weekly, right? It's like, okay, what did you do? Show me your pitch deck. Show right. me the off. How did you underwrite it? What are your assumptions? And then we just kind of run through it and we role play in it. And really the idea is you're just, um, you're really um, uh, improving as you go. And so sure. that every time you do a deal, you learn something new. Absolutely. I, mean, I don't know your experience, but. No, no that's two, very no, true. That's very no, true. No I two think... deals are the same. And, and so you right. can't have, here's the one way to do a property, you know, inspection, or here's the one way to do this. Sure, sure. It's nuanced. Absolutely. There's no master plan that exists. I think the more you fail, the more you learn and the more different type of deals you do, I think you understand the details of the business as well. And uh, and now Shane, you wrote multiple books, right? This one specific book, like the club syndications and how wealthy raise money and invest in commercial real estate. Uh, talk about it. How did that come about? It sounds like uh, you are, uh, you know, sort of uh, opening the doors of how elite uh, sort of uh, gain their wealth and rise uh, to the top. Uh, give us some genesis as to how it came about and what was your sort of experience around it? Sure. Um, so I, I think it, you asked the question and I was thinking of one answer because that's the one that kind of immediately came to mind. <laughs> but as you were asking it, I was also thinking, I'm like, okay, well, both my parents are teachers. Right. And, and I, and, and I, and I never wanted to be uh, quote unquote, like a teacher at a, at a Catholic or public school, mm-hmm. but I really do enjoy helping others and, and educating. Right. I mean, sure, you, can, sure. mm-hmm. you can go on my website, you can see all the blogs and articles I've written my, all the videos. And so I was getting asked to go for a coffee frequently and, mm-hmm. and usually from what well, was interesting, a lot of commercial real estate agents saying, mm-hmm. Okay, like these are the guys that are out there selling it, but Shane, how do I raise money? How do I actually do it? Right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm making that group over there a million, five million, twenty million dollars, and they kind of get tired of it, but they don't know how to how to transition from um, the technician to the the investor, the owner. Sure. And so I basically said, well, I mean, it's not that difficult, right? I would go for lunch, I'd explain it, and then they would never do anything. <laughs> uh, and so I said, okay, well, like. The, the way I wrote that book initially was I created an outline mm-hmm. and, uh, and then I hired a group to help me kind of uh, put it all together, if you will. Sure. And mm-hmm. the outline that I had was 38 pages. They, wow. they said usually, and the book's only 52 or 54 mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, okay, there's too much in here. Let's just focus on what do you get asked the most? Right? Because I was going from start to finish and I said, okay, sure. let's just focus on raising capital. That's where people seem to have the most uh, challenges, if you will. And sure. so it was just kind of like a far, five point or five part framework, right? In terms of controlling the deal, you know, getting the LOI, uh, how to approach investors, what are your deliverables? What do you say when you're in those meetings? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't want to say a lot of it is common sense. I think people will read it and say, oh yeah, that, you know, that is common sense. But until, uh, until you actually um, see something, it's not always common sense, right? Because if right. you've never done it before 
and you get into those circumstances, like usually it's just like one or two tweaks and it's like, wow, I never knew that I needed to have that in my deck or I didn't realize that's how I should approach an investor mm-hmm. or how to structure the deal. Like, look, the way I structure a deal today and the way I teach my clients today, I'm like, look, you're not going to get the same rates and the same um, um, uh, like returns that I am able to, to demand because right. I have a track record. Right? Absolutely. When I started, I was doing like very low syndication fee, mm-hmm. uh, probably 80-20 splits and a high pref Right. So there's very little left over for me, but sure. I had to prove my right now right. I can pay a 6% pref, take 35% of the upside, charge what I'm, what I'm, what I'm worth. Right. But it's because I have more demand for my deals than I do uh, room for my investors. So, hmm. but, but people start and, and, and it's just, I think important to, to set proper expectations so that, you know, and, and so I don't know if I do a good enough job in the book, but it, it definitely talks about that, that concept. Awesome. Awesome. Um, now, you know, over time, Shane, you, you have an intense family background uh, as to, you, you, you know, into real estate and you've seen and network with many investors as well. What is some of the best advice that you have received so far that you kind of practice on a daily basis or, you know, keeps you in discipline uh, every other day? Okay. There's a couple of things. Uh, one of which I will tell you when I was out, uh, I don't know if it was a lot. No, it was two Fridays ago. We were out touring a building mm-hmm. and, and it was distressed. We knew it was distressed, right? Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't suggest, so distressed for people, like this is something that is high vacancy. In this case, it was like 50 or 60%. Wow. It was a real piece of crap, mm-hmm. but it was in a great location. And we looked at it and said, maybe there's redevelopment. Maybe there's other opportunities. And I remember my father-in-law, like, cause now we're, we're doing business again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason we're doing business is because he's kind of stepped away from, from his day-to-day activities at, on, 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 his, on his primary company. So uh, anyways, we're out looking at it and he says, you know, Shane, uh, I'm just trying to think how, how he said it. And it was it's basically like the tenants will find the best properties. Mm. Meaning if you find the best locations to, to be at, to invest mm. in, Tenants mm-hmm. come to you. You don't have to spend nearly as much energy trying to convince someone. Tenants sure. are smart, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's retail, mm-hmm. industrial, multifamily. I mean, they know where they want to be. So right. really your job is to identify the locations of where that is. Right. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, we were talking just before this, right? In terms of where's the smart money. I mean, right. if you know that a first cap or Rio can, or you know where the city is putting a lot of money you can look at that and say, I mean, they are pumping in billions of dollars into this. Right. Mm-hmm. How do I get in front of that? How do I, how do I basically, okay, that's maybe called, call it center ice. Can I find something in close proximity? Sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that people do focus a lot on location and that would be one way to identify location. Mm-hmm. But I think the other really key part is the market timing. Like where are you in the cycle? Sure. And what's your exit strategy? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I had a great, I had a coffee with a gentleman not long ago and I was showing him this uh, 60 unit multifamily that I'm developing mm-hmm. or that I had in, in the pipeline I, with COVID. We, we pressed pause on it, but um, uh, we had the conversation and he said, well, what's your exit? Mm-hmm. Like, who's the buyer? Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, who do you think it is? And he's like, well, you're, you're a mid market. You're too big for the mom and pop and you're too small for the institutional. Big 
Right. Mm-hmm. And, right. So, so all of a sudden that's like, Oh, that's really important to know. Sure. Like, like even if you plan to keep it for 10 years, you still want to have an idea of if you need to sell or want to sell. Now there oh, are right. still buyers for what I was creating, but the, but the, the litmus test of, okay, institutional, a hundred plus concrete in these locations, this percentage of number ones, number two, or like ones and twos, mm-hmm. you know, this many underground parking, mom and pop, right? This is their threshold on the upside. Like it, it, it's just, uh, just really deeply understanding um, your exit. And then like we talked about market timing. Awesome. Thank you, Shane. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for all your advice. Uh, uh, please share with our listeners how they can, you know, find you and learn more about your company and everything. Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I would say easiest place is just my website. You can get my book, go download my, um, uh, uh, you can download a free copy, at least right now, uh, the PDF version of it. And uh, you can listen to my podcast or any of the videos. And that's just at uh, Shane Melanson, M-E-L-A-N-S-O-N.com. Uh, and happy to uh, kind of help in, in any way I can. Awesome. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, forward to hearing more about different projects and hosting you on a different podcast as well. Thanks for your time today. <laughs> you bet. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest. Music